Every doctor has a minimum of 19 years of education, $189,000 spent to procure it. Most doctors work on average 12 hours a day and 59.6 hours per week. A hospitalist walks five miles a day. They will see between 40,000 and 250,000 patients in their career, spending 5.9 hours documenting their visits. So needless to say, doctors are tired. These are their stories. All right. Welcome back to Tired Doctors Talking, a bi-monthly show about morbidity and mortality by doctors Monique and Marguerite, two lovely ladies with melanin. And bi-monthly-ish since this is a mini show because I had a baby. Yeah. Two lovely ladies with melanin and a new baby. And motherhood. Ah, there you and go. motherhood. Yeah, congratulations. Thank welcome, you. Welcome, welcome back. Woo. I don't know. I didn't want to bother you while you were cocooning. <laughs> yes. Um, what else do have people called it? Nesting. Um, what was something? Someone had like this old worldly phrase, like home building or something. I was like, not have hammers. <laughs> <laughs> Not actually building home, a house, you know, barn bonding. raising. No. Yeah. So congratulations. So thank you. Um, tell us um, if you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, what type of baby did you get? Um, I got a little female infant. Her, hey. yep, little little baby Z. She's super cute. She is. I've seen pictures, guys. She's ultra cute. We are so far. Um, using feminine pronouns but you know we are very loose with that who knows she may be a they them she may be a he but you know currently we're using feminine pronouns with her well i think the most currently important thing is that she's napping uh no she's not she's eating oh she's eating <laughs> yeah she was napping and then when my nipple came out she was like wait no i was totally i was totally eating that i totally was no i'm totally awake now come on no, uh, I can do this. I can do this. I, I believe in myself. This. Yes. Yes. Oh, well, I, I'm so happy for you. And I'm glad that it's all going so well. And you're at home taking some time. It's much, much needed. So um, we're just going to, just for 30 minutes, just kind of catch everybody up and kind of catch ourselves up on a couple of things. Um, tell us a little bit, how, how was birth for you? How did all that go? So, you know me, I have the anxieties. So the way I deal with them. All of the anxieties? Dude, <laughs> sometimes it feels like it, but no. Um, just general, that general anxiety type stuff. And the way I deal with it is by trying to be prepared. So, you know, I did, you know, like half a hypnobirthing course with my book, um, you know, I had a doula. I did lots of reading. I'm a doctor who delivers babies, so I knew about that. So I was as prepared as I thought I could be. Um, so to give some people background, um, other than the fact that I was old, um, I'm advanced maternal age. My my um, uterus is elderly. 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 Yes, that's, that's the phrase someone said to me the other day. Yes. Yes. I have a geriatric pregnancy. 
Um, other than that, uh, there was a complication because the umbilical cord that um, baby Z was supposed to have and have three vessels only had two, which means that she could fall off the growth curve. And we had to do all these testings like twice a week to check baby's heart rate. And once a week, we would look at um, how she was moving and growing and this, that, and the other. And basically, when we did the last growth, we found out that she had totally fallen off the growth curve. So, you know, when we did it at 28 weeks, she was about 44 percentile, so right around the middle, which was great. And then when we did it again at 32 weeks, she was, you know, about um, 30 two percentile so 10 down but not terrible but when we did it you know at 36 weeks right before we were getting ready to deliver she'd gone down to 22 percentile so clearly she just wasn't growing that last month so we set up for an induction i got my date to get induced um so and i so, know mm -hmm. let's just explain really quickly why were they inducing you they were inducing me because I was advanced maternal age um, and because she had not yet reached the, the terminology that you'd call um, interuterine growth restriction. Right. But she was heading that heading direction. That right. So it was becoming more dangerous to leave her in where she could possibly fall so far off of the growth curve. And really quick, what our growth curve is is a it's literally just like um a graph where you plug in what your age is and what your height is to tell you where on the spectrum of normal you fit for your height and weight for your age um and obviously you don't you can't you know measure how long a baby is in utero but we know what they're usually weighing around certain times of pregnancy um, and so, you know, if a baby's too big, that can be dangerous, mm -hmm. right? And if a baby's too small, that can be dangerous. So one of either one of those can be an indication for, hey, it might be safer for her to come out than yep. to stay in. Right. So um, I went for my induction. I was already 38 weeks. So that's term. We were term. So I was 38 weeks and five days. And I know inductions usually take about two days. So I went to the hospital Friday night and they did what they call um, cervical ripening. So it's when they're like, okay, your cervix, because you're not going to labor naturally, is probably not open much at all. So we're going to have to give you some medicines to help it get open or possibly give you um, a balloon. They blow up on the inside of the the uterus, pressing against the cervix to help it come and open up a little bit more. It's cool. It weird that in medicine we like call things by food all the time. Is it? And it's not just weird. It's kind of gross. Like ripening. Like when you ripe. I don't know. I've always thought like. <laughs> I, I mean, like it makes sense because. Mm -hmm. When you get a ripe fruit, it should be soft and, and you know, ready, ready for eating. Not right. that you're eating services, no. but like, you know, if a, a cervix isn't ready to deliver, it's long, it's closed, and it's mm -hmm. hard. Right. You know, as mm -hmm. opposed to like soft and mushy, but still, <laughs> like, 
I don't want things in my body getting ripe, you know, but like, ready to fall off. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, medicine is big for that. They like to, you know, say like that chocolate covered sputum. Don't call sputum chocolate covered. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do, that. do that. Please. No, no. You know, she has some peau d'orange on her. Okay. Oh, first that's, of all, stop yeah. being all French and fancy. <laughs> Okay, well, and secondly, like don't call breast cancer food. Like, I'm, like, <laughs> but medicine does that all the time. They so do. yes, they they ripened your service, for right? You. Well, and so here's here's the thing, um, for anyone out there who is thinking about being pregnant or going to be pregnant, there was a study because you know I'm all about these studies, yo, um, that showed that eating dates, like six dates a day, mm-hmm. um you were less likely to need induction. And if you went for an induction, your cervix was more likely to be soft and open. Doesn't matter what type of dates? Because I only like the metro dates. It does not matter what kind of dates. It's actually usually the amount of dates. So okay. it has to be between five to like seven dates. Like five, five to seven dates a day. I could do that. I mean, as long as you don't have gestational diabetes, you can do that. Those things are sweet, man. They're tasty. You blend them up. There's this great smoothie. If you blend them up with like apple, cinnamon, banana, mm-hmm. a little bit of ice, mm-hmm. and some almond milk, it tastes okay. like a caramel apple. I believe that. I believe that. It's very tasty. So anyway. I've I've been eating my dates, um, and so when I went in, um, my cervix was about um, two centimeters open. It was eight centimeter 80 percent thin so it was really thin and it was really soft which is great because that means i didn't need any medications i could just use the balloon which is a literally mechanical opening it's like they're usually putting something in there to push and open your cervix and the best thing about that is that means i could walk around i didn't have to be on the monitor the whole time Mm -hmm. so i was all about that so we did that and that actually came out really fast so First time moms usually change, you know, about two centimeters, uh, one centimeter every two hours. And that first four centimeters for me to go from like, you know, one to four, two to four, um, I changed like one centimeter an hour. So that was out within the first three hours. And I was like, sweet, this is great. We're on the right, great trajectory. This is going to be awesome. So then I took a nap and they put me on. Pitocin. So Pitocin is the medication that is like oxytocin, which is what helps your uterus actually contract. It's commonly called pit. So if you've heard women say like, oh, they gave me the pit or I was on pit. That's what she's referring to. Right. So and then they titrate it up by so many units every half an hour to every hour. Now, a low level of PIT is usually considered, you know, below 10. A moderate level is in the teens. A high level is if you're like 18 or above. That's usually considered a high level of PIT. Mm-hmm. So they're putting me on the PIT and they're trying to get my contractions up to be about every three minutes. So I'm doing that. And my contractions are definitely there. They're definitely going. My doula is with me. Oh, my goodness. I love my doula. I love my doula so much. Um, so she really helped me with 
breathing and relaxing and getting in different positions. Um, there's a lot of counter pressure she could do. So like pushing against my hips or pushing against my back in ways that would relieve and like make the contractions a little bit easier. She would be like, oh, maybe you should like kneel on the bed now or now you can stand in heat this way. You can walk around this way. So just lots of different positions um, that I could be in to really allow me to be mobile as long as possible. Because that was a real thing. People were like, why didn't you get an epidural sooner? You want to suffer? And for me, it was not about suffering at all. It was the fact that I knew once I had the epidural, I was stuck in the bed until. And mm -hmm. I did not want to be stuck in a bed until. I wanted mm -hmm. to be up. I wanted to be mobile. I wanted to be moving. So, um, unfortunately, the they had two of the mobile sensors, but one of them was waterlogged. Like, it looked like it got water damage, even though it's supposed to be waterproof. So, I wasn't able to be on the wireless sensors, so I still kind of, like, was around the bed, but I wasn't trapped to the bed, thankfully. Um, and so, they titrated up my pit. Um, at some point, now this is Saturday. Um, so I came in Friday. Now I'm Saturday. I'm on pit. At some point, um, they decide to go ahead. My OB, I think I just gotten to like five centimeters and they were like, okay, we're going to go ahead and break your water because usually that allows baby's head to come down and to like really speed up the process. Mm -hmm. So I was like, cool. So they broke my water. We're still titrating up on the pit. My pit got to 23. I do not have an epidural. I am breathing mm -hmm. a lot. I'm breathing a lot, a lot. And it's really funny because basically in between breathing, I had a playlist. I had a playlist and a really awesome Bluetooth speaker. And in between like my contractions, I would just start singing whatever song was on, <laughs> which the nurses found hilarious. Cause they're like, Oh, at least we know when your contractions are done, <laughs> you know? Um, but I had all sorts of playlists. I had playlists for labor. I had playlists for C-section. I had playlists for after baby Z got here. I, I'm, I'm, I love the music, y'all. That's great. Um, I, I, so I want our listeners to hear somebody who planned for her delivery and had the support and took classes in comparison to me. <laughs> Who is so bad at giving birth the second time around? My husband was like, not nah, for real. You need a class. And I was like, babe, I got this. I've done this before. He was like, yeah, you didn't see you. And I still didn't know when I went into labor. So, so you see the difference. What I'm going to say from the difference in these stories is if you can prepare, it, it, it makes a difference. It sounds like you had a lot more control over your environment which you can't really control what's happening with the uterus mm -hmm. but if you can control your environment that gives you some form of stability versus me that just showed up and was like oh we having a baby what, ha what happened was you know so so yeah my it like so we had the super awesome um LED like candles, the fake candles. So those were around the room to like give us a nice mood lighting. Girl, you um, had mood lighting. Um, mm. We had a. Um, I'm I, jealous. I, I had mood lighting. I had a great speaker. Um, we had a laptop. Um, so that in between 
like when the contractions were more mild, I could like watch some um, Wonderfalls, a sitcom that we decided that I wanted to watch. Like it, it was, I, I definitely controlled my environment as much as possible. Um, so we get up to 23. I've been at 23 for about at least two hours. It felt like seven, but it was probably at least two hours. And I'm like, I'm tapping out. It was funny because Stefan said I sound like the ghost of labor pass because <laughs> like, you know, I would breathe and then I would like vocalize. And like, I kept thinking like, if I keep making lower tones, like it would go lower in my body to like release like the, the discomfort. I was like, <laughs> and it's like, honey, you just sound like ghost of labor pass. Like, <laughs> look at that. That doesn't work though. It doesn't work. It really does not work. And so I finally called it. I was like, I'm going to need an epidural. Um, and it takes like an hour, actually, usually from yeah. like that to like getting the anesthesiologist there and getting all set up. So I was at 23 a pit for at least three hours. And then I get my epidural and she's like, oh, how are the contractions now? I'm like, I'm fine. Like, they're not as bad as they were. So I am. A, uh, this is great. Like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Now, the weird thing about getting the epidural is that then I touched my leg. I didn't know it was my leg. I was like, what's that? What is that weird cold slab of meat? <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, it's my leg. That's so weird. Um, you know what? I like the thing that got and it's funny because when you know things, it should make sense. Mm -hmm. But then it doesn't make sense. After I got the epidural and they go for the Foley, like mm -hmm. the catheter, I was like, yeah. what are you doing? They're <laughs> They're like, it's the Foley catheter, which is a catheter they put into your bladder. To get to your bladder, they have to go through your, your urethra. Like, I order these for patients all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, but like, she comes at me and I was like, what is, what is that for? It's like, <laughs> you, you realize you're not going to get up and go pee. I was like, oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I should, I should know that. But mm -hmm. I was just like, I don't want to Foley, like. So, yeah, I get it. So after that, they put in the IUPC, which is the intrauterine pressure catheter. So whenever they look at those little blips on the side, that just really says contraction. Yes, contraction. No, it does not actually tell you how strong the contractions are. The only way you would know how strong they are is by actually putting a pressure catheter next to the baby and feeling them from the inside. So, and that's measured in what they call Montevideo units. Anything between 80 and 180 is considered adequate to have cervical change. At this point, my cervix was six centimeters. They checked that pressure catheter. My Montevideo units were over 300. Ooh. So I had been at three times the amount of labor I would normally need to have a child for at least a couple hours without a, without a epidural. <laughs> so um, at that point, I was like, okay. Um, they titrated down my pit and they got my pit down to what they thought would actually be adequate, which was only... 10. I was up at 23 for three hours when all they needed was 10. 
to be adequate. And at 10, I was still over 200 sometimes. So at that point, I was like, okay. I took a nap because I couldn't feel it at all, which was great. So I just slept through the night. I didn't really um, realize that I was at over what I needed until you know the next day. So couldn't feel anything, took a nap, woke up the next morning, and we really delayed that first check to try and give my body as much time as possible to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other problem with the epidural is then they don't let you eat. Yeah. So, and I really didn't eat dinner the night before because, like, my contractions were so strong. I was really, really nauseated. Yeah. So, I wasn't eating. And then baby Z was looking a little bit off on the monitor. Um, like, n- just not great on the monitor as far as the heart rate. It wasn't looking terrible. It wasn't like, oh, we have to go to section. It's just like, oh, she's not having as many, like, accelerations in our heart rate as she's supposed to have. And mm-hmm. there's like a deceleration here and there, but it wasn't overall terrible. But we do that second check in the morning and I'm still at six centimeters. So at this point, my water has been broke for almost 12 hours. I haven't changed, well, almost 24 hours and I haven't changed in six hours. And they're like, I think we're going to have to call it. Yeah. And I'm like, dang it. Like, like that feeling of like like I just felt like such a failure at that point because I'm like I got these big ass hips <laughs> like there is no reason why this smaller than usual baby shouldn't be exiting my body through a normal orifice and I went through all of this and I'm gonna have to have a c-section and I was not prepared I was not mentally emotionally like it was on my birth plan but I was like that's not gonna happen yeah so then, so, you know, I'm a family doc and my, my, um, the person who delivered me is a family doc with OB, um, section skills. And we immediately start going into shop talk. And I was like, okay, so what do you use to close? Do you use staples or do you use the Keith needle? Wow. Okay. Use the Keith. Um, do you externalize the uterus? Cause I really don't want my uterus outside my body. Can we not do that, please? Like. <laughs> you are good. All I said was just make the scar pretty. <laughs> that's all i said yeah well so the thing is i still assist in c-sections so like yeah. that's the other thing it's like so i know you know so we're going back there for the c-section i get to have like my 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 labor music because i hadn't listened to that yet i was listening to my girl my my girl power playlist and my personal playlist of all the songs i love so i finally put on my labor playlist and we go back for the c-section and they start their prepping and it's such a problem because I know everything they're doing. Like I know, like, like, except now they're doing it on me. So does that help with your anxiety over the process? It made it worse. Do you think it made it worse? Definitely made it worse. Cause they're like, okay, skin, skin. I'm like, ah, shit. They're cutting through my skin. Cutting through my skin. Like I, I didn't hear any of that. (laughs) well and this is where the anesthesiologist was again amazing aside from giving me an awesome epidural she distracted me yeah that's good she was like 
she was like, oh, so where'd you and your husband meet? And how long have you guys have been together? And da 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 da. Um, and Stefan, Stefan was great. He was, he was, you know, in his little cap and circle gown and mask. And, you know, he, he did a great, he was doing great. And so they, they deliver her, they deliver Zara and they're like, wait, what? Which is not always the thing you want to hear when they're delivering a baby. Um, <laughs> so this little person, what? there's a whole other one in here. <laughs> no, no, no. So this little person got the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck. Super common. Okay. That that's not unusual. Then it went from her around her neck to around her shoulder. Then it went around her body. Then it went around her other shoulder. And then it went around her neck again. And she had tied a knot in it. Oh, oh, I see what happened was she's your child. And so <laughs> she does extra. So now right. I, I understand. I believe the ICD code for that is uh <laughs> I see what happened. So, so that's so, why she was stuck. So that's why she was stuck because she had literally taken up all the slack between her so and I'm her really umbilical cord. That she didn't have any D cells during that. Right, that's what everyone said. That's really, that's really great. You have all that meant that your amniotic fluid and yeah. everything else was like really on point. So yeah, that's what everyone said. Is like given the fact that she had three times the amount of pressure she should have had on her little body. Yeah. Plus being wrapped up in the cord with a real knot in it. It's already a two vessel cord. It's not yeah. like it's a nice, healthy three vessel cord. Like, you know, it makes me think about unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Like females are strong as hell. Um, yeah. <laughs> like she should have looked worse. And basically when she was delivered, everyone's like, y'all need to buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> um, this, this, this small person is special. I don't know what, what this person's going to do, but she's going to do something special. Cause you know, I will vote for her in, in 30 years. Like, well, like if she's running for something, I will vote for her because clearly she is destined for greatness. Well, so, congratulations. Yes. Both of you for getting, all three of you for getting through all yeah. of that. That's amazing. So now we have little baby Z. Yes. Um, who I'm going to continue to send lots and lots of clothes to. Yay. I have way too many. <laughs> um, well, and so this is the problem, right? So the good part about my whole labor story is that I feel like I've actually gone through everything that one of my patients will go through. I've been mm -hmm. through induction. I have labored. Mm -hmm. I've had a C-section. Mm -hmm. C-sections suck. I hate them. I'm still in recovery. It's terrible. Um, yeah. You know, I think they come... it makes it worse when you are also delivering from a vaginal, uh, recovering from a vaginal delivery. Mm -hmm. Right? So like, like with me, fully dilated pushing and everything mm -hmm. and then ended up with an emergency c-section right? right and so like like i know what you're going through to to be delivering like um not delivering them laboring laboring and now you're recovering from both and that's mm -hmm. that scar is a that scar is hard to yeah that hurts yeah that it hurts. really it really does but um so thank you the other problem is, is that I feel slightly less empathetic for my patients. That No, that's the wrong. <laughs> I know. So, so this is the thing. In retrospect, it was like, look, I had over 300 Montevideo units for three hours. I had the three times as much as labor as most people have. And I was okay. 
like after after delivery like they're like oh do you need some you need some percocet do you need some some oxycodone Mm -hmm. i was like just give me some ibuprofen and tylenol i'll be i'll be fine yeah but don't you think that like people are set up for different expectations absolutely because i mean we have cultures in the world where like oh time to have a baby go to the baby having cut and you go in there and you Mm -hmm. hold on to a rope and if you make a sound you're considered to be weak you know Mm -hmm. um and then you have um england the nhs where the majority of these women don't get epidurals right the majority of these women you know get that the nitrous oxide and mm-hmm. which i think is useless and i hate that stuff um but that expectation is very different the expectation here culturally is is that you walk in you get your epidural you take a couple selfies like it's you know very it's a very different expectation so i don't know i think people are kind of set up to to well, expect something and i think it's also cool. and i think that's the other thing like I always part of it, I think, is in that mental preparation of me being like, this isn't pain. This is discomfort. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no, honey, it's pain. I don't I don't agree with that. Statement. <laughs> that, that I'm just saying, but this is what in my like, I, I think that head talk does a lot. Yeah. You're like, this is my body being uncomfortable because it's trying to get a small person out of it. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah that's dumb. Yeah. And and so and so a big part of it for me was just reframing it. And being like, you know, this isn't like I hit my toe. This isn't yeah. like, you know, I, I broke my finger. This is an expected part of my existence. This is this, ex- this is like, this is the expected outcome from this thing I've been doing for the past several months, weeks, you know. Exactly. That's true. That's true. Reframing it. I, one of my girlfriends was pregnant. She had her first child two months before I had mine. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking her, like, so what? I mean, like, I'm a doctor. I help deliver babies. I talk to pregnant people. But it's different when it's you and your body. Right. And Absolutely. She's also a family physician. So I asked her, you know, exactly what does it feel like? She's like, I can't explain it other than it feels like your body is betraying every single part of itself and wants to run it simultaneously, run away from itself um, and hide. And I was like, that's weird. And yes, that's like to me that's what those those contractions felt like it was like my body was like get it out leave me alone get it out yes. leave me alone you know and, yes absolutely like, so I it's mean, true that i i will say that i like your head talk i like your reframing well and well, and i agree with that because that's exactly like the whole like part of the whole reason why i did any hypnobirthing at all was so i could train my brain to be like i know my body's going to want to clench up go i'd be like ah so like trying to like be like okay i'm gonna relax my face relax my muscles help my body get this process over as quickly as comfortably as it can be great that's really great i think that you're a testament of what preparing for um the processes and i think that's wonderful i'm very happy for you and thank you for sharing your birth story with us yeah, yeah, you know, I got I got an adorable, adorable small person out of it. Yeah, she's ultra cute. Yep. She well, actually is asleep now. We're gonna let you get back to um nesting and bonding mm-hmm. and eating and we'll touch base and we'll catch up on other things and find out how your process is going. 
And next time um, we should have our conversation about breastfeeding because I've got thoughts. You, you know, I'm all about breast. I still have some breast milk in my freezer. I found out, <laughs> so I will be flying that and giving that to my child, who seems to get every virus this winter. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so not to dip, um, not to deny our listeners some of our favorite things, the things we talk about. Um, I saw a really like funny slash sad slash what type of article today in CNN. Okay. That said drinking hot tea, like overly hot tea. Uh-huh. We did some study where drinking overly hot tea is found to be associated with increased risks of esophageal cancer. What? And I feel like my whole life has just been put into some form of questioning because m- my day revolves around overly hot tea. Mm-hmm. In fact, as we've been talking, I have poured myself a few mugs of overly hot tea. <laughs> and I was like, whatever, CNN. I'm sure, I'm sure when I read the article, if I like actually go back to the article, mm-hmm. it'll say something like overly hot liquids past a certain right. temperature. Right. Which would make sense if you're repeatedly scalding tissue. You're, right. That you're cause tissue. some form of injury to the tissue. But because they have to like sensationalize it, they have me sitting here being like, is is my orange licorice tea going to be the end of me? <laughs> no, it will not. Yeah. So if you see this article, drink your tea. <laughs> so my interesting article was I actually saw that FDA approved a drug for postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. But it is a $20,000 infusion that you have to go to have a two-day certified medical center stay after because your dizziness can be so severe that you can fall down. So you mean no one's going to take it? Yeah. It's supposed to work within 48 hours, but it's only a one-time dose. Because you're going to leave your brand new baby. Because that's going to make the anxiety and depression so much better. And, you know, the only case I could see this working is like there is a there are things like postpartum psychosis. Yeah, I was just thinking that. But, but it's not, they haven't tested on anyone with psychosis. Well, all those people were left out of the study. So I'm like, so basically you FDA approved a drug that's literally not going to be used ever. I mean, I, you know, I'm always trying to be an optimist. I guess it's a step forward that they were actually taking women's health mother's mental health issue seriously right to research it but you you have to make a product that is accessible to the general public both financially and logistically right you know mm-hmm. um and, and it's not to say that infusions are not except um ex- <laughs> i cannot speak today for some reason accessible right, right. there are lots of infusions Absolutely. people get that are quite reasonable to fit into their schedule i mean just think of chemo there are there are lots of times people go to chemo and it's part of their day it's yeah. not all of their day right chemotherapy people who are on different um immunify immune immune modulators who have uh-huh. autoimmune diseases. diseases um even there's even infusions for osteoporosis absolutely right these iron. are right iron infusions for anemia these are people these are products that have been made to fit into people's existence you mm-hmm. know um i'm not trying to down the work people do but it just 
seems like if you're asking a woman who has depression, anxiety centered around motherhood mm-hmm. to physically remove herself from that motherhood, and which may maybe that might help sometimes if she can also get some sleep. But now mm-hmm. she's so symptomatic. And what's the what's the likelihood insurance is going to cover this right away? They're just right. You know, they're going to cover gonna this say, well, over some Zoloft. Right. Over some Zoloft. <laughs> you know, and, and then what you're saying is that the women who are suffering from psychosis, mm-hmm. who are, are at higher risk for self-harm and harming their children, you didn't even include in the study. Exactly. Well, good work. Right? It's like, okay. Uh, like, it's a thing. Thank you. Yeah. I think, again, I guess it's a step. So, <laughs> um, I didn't say which direction. I said a step. It is a step. You know. So, Well, when you come back, maybe we'll leave a couple of seconds to talk about some kind of TV show. Because I've not watched it, but I've seen a couple of trailers and things for the resident and it looks just mm-hmm. as crazy as ever. Um, but randomly random good thing about the resident. Um, I told you I follow this guy on Instagram uh, for Kira's for moms. He's uh, he Oh, he's a gentleman whose wife died in uh, birth, childbirth in oh. California a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And he has a nonprofit organization called for Kira for moms. Uh, centered around maternal mortality. Um, and I saw on his Instagram that he was like on the set of The Resident. Oh. So I feel like they're going to do something about maternal mortality, mortality on the set of The Resident. <laughs> I mean, on The Resident. Um, so we'll have to check it out. But there are also some Gerard Butler looking dude who seems to be yelling. And and Theo is on there now. I know his name is Malcolm Jamal Warner. Oh, Warner. His that's name Theo. will always be Theo. And Theo is Theo. now on there. Um, and I'm like, well, what's happening there? It seems like a whole bunch of craziness. I just, I just would never work in these facilities. Like when they write these things, do they ever consult someone to be like, hey, if all of these ridiculous things happened in your job, would you work there? Would you work here? Because the, the answer, answer no. would be no. Absolutely I mean, like, not. no. I don't care how good the CME benefits are. <laughs> I am not interested in working in a place. Where helicopters explode. No. No. Absolutely not. Thank you. Thank you. You didn't say if they were Grey's Anatomy. I've said it before. If you have a residency program where by the time I graduate, a number of my colleagues will have been dead from helicopter explosions, terrorist bombings, ice falling out of the sky. What what other ways did they die on there? I told you, I never watched that show. I never watched that show. Goodness. I, I, I would just, I would, not rank. I would not rank that place. I would <gasps> say no. Actually, speaking of that, happy match day, belated match day to all yes, the folks. If, yes, that's true. I hope belated you got your day. one, two, and three. And for those who didn't um, and you had to scramble, I hope it all went well. It's called um, the, it's not the scramble anymore. Oh, am I old? Yeah, it's not the scramble. Is it called like match again? Yeah, basically it's a bunch of mini matches okay. that people go through. Yeah. But yes, congratulations to everyone who matched. I hope everyone matched well. Um, congratulations to the residencies. We have a residency program that this is our first year. Oh, and we matched wow. six out of six. Congrats. So 
Are you going to be working with It'll some be... residents? So I'm actually more than likely for my meeting yesterday, which was the first meeting, first time I ever left my child in almost a year. I made sure they all knew that I would only leave my child when I'm on maternity leave and come to this meeting because I hate meetings because it was a behavioral health meeting is that I may become the behavioral health faculty for my residency, which has always been my goal. So good. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. 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 So we will do what I love most, which is talking to people. I do like, I do like working in residence. I do like working with residents. We have, we only have med students right now, um, which is very different for me (laughs) trying to figure out how to manage doing a hundred percent of my work and a hundred percent of teaching. So I don't participate in it too often. Um, But I do, I do like working with residents. So that'll be good. Congratulations. Thank you. So won't, won't um, keep you from baby Z much longer. Well, it's really napping. She's sleeping now. So, you know, when she sleeps, we all try to sleep. Yes. I, you know, I never did that. People always said that. And when the baby slept, I tried to do laundry, pay a bill, do something like that. Cause I felt like I couldn't, you know, maybe that's why I didn't sleep. So Exactly. So in, so basically, the way I have so far done the schedule is that I try to sleep. Everyone tries to sleep basically until about noon. And then around noon in the afternoon is when we try to keep her awake more often. And then we're also trying to like do laundry, you know, grocery shopping, deal with like bills and things yeah. and get all the like the busy work of the day attended to. Wow. And then around like nine, we all try to wind down so that she'll sleep three or four hours. Yeah. Well, my friend, go have fun. We'll catch up later. Thanks for spending some time with us in in this somewhat of a meeting. Yay. I look to more to more impromptu ad hoc mini cast about breastfeeding and baby poop and all those things. And we're not going to overwhelm y'all with all of the the babyness, but being a doctor and being a mother is definitely a um an extra an extra mind turn it's an extra um bit of experience so it'll be i think it's interesting hopefully y'all will think it's interesting. if it's not you know you can always email us and say stop talking at, about stuff and go back to something that i want to listen to at tired doctors talking at gmail and be like can you not talk about the breastfeeding and can we talk about this other random topic yeah and we may have a mini cast on that all right all right my dear we'll catch up later it's good to talk talk to you later bye bye